Welcome to the Ferris Love Podcast, where we share spiritual and practical ideas for how to live family life with a beautiful, self-sacrificing love. For this episode, we're talking with Emily Stimson Chapman, author and mother of three, right? Yep, we have three now. So wonderful. And we're going to talk adoption today, which I think is a, a great topic. And it's one that we haven't had anyone talk about yet on the podcast. So it's definitely one that is going to resonate for a lot of people, I think. So if you want to, let's get started and maybe you just kind of share the basics of your kind of adoption story as a couple, and then we can go from there. Sure. Uh, So my husband and I married a little bit later in life. So I had just turned 41 and he was about to turn 48, I think. Math is never my strong suit. Um, So we knew going in that conceiving was not going to be a walk in the park. Mm -hmm. Um, I am super, super type A choleric, like planner woman. So of course, for months beforehand, I'd like had a nepro doctor. I'd had a bunch of tests done. I was taking all of my supplements. I was, I was like, I'm going to, we're going to hit the ground running and get pregnant. Um, but that did not happen. And so I think I had a couple more surgeries after we got married. I did several rounds of like different hormonal treatments with my Mm -hmm. nepro doctor. Um, and it was, it was one of the hardest times in my life. And in sure. some ways people like, well, you're 41. You should have expected it would be difficult, but I felt like I had done the right thing. You know, like mm-hmm. I had been a good Catholic girl for 41 mm-hmm. years and I had waited for my husband and I had been praying for babies and surely God was going to give me those babies. Right. Sure. Like, surely. um, and so there was a lot of anger that mm-hmm. I had to work through. There was a lot of grief. Um, what probably helped the most was that the Lord and I had been wrestling for many years about many things. And so I was quick to realize with myself that I was trying to control things and not letting God Mm -hmm. be in charge, which is sort of my habitual sin. It's our ongoing relationship problem with Jesus and me is that I want to control things and not let him be God. Um, And so when I saw that's what I was doing, I kind of stepped back and was like, okay, great. And I had to go, children are a gift. Mm-hmm. They're not something that I am entitled to. They are not a right. They're mm-hmm. not like a reward because I've been such a, you know, mm-hmm. good Catholic girl and a good Catholic writer. Like that's not how babies work. And I, I, I think we were probably a, let's see, we were maybe 14 months into okay. like doing all sorts of aggressive in line with church kind in line mm-hmm. with church interventions when I just said, okay, I'm not, I'm not doing anything yeah, right now. Yeah, I'm yeah. stepping back. I am. Um, no more supplements. I'm going to eat what I want. I'm not going to have another surgery. Like, where's my martini? I'm just going to detach from it all. And if Mm -hmm. God wants me to get pregnant, I will get pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was during that time that we taught, we were talking a lot more about adoption. It's something we talked about before marriage. We really wanted to adopt, but we were in the middle of this like insane house renovation and we had no money and it just didn't seem possible. We had looked at an agency here in Pittsburgh and they, um, if I had wanted to adopt as a single woman, it would have been fine. But because my husband was over 45, we were not eligible to adopt from that agency and a lot of agencies. I know I was like, what, like, why does it, I could be a single woman adopting at this age and it's okay. But anyhow, so we, uh, I was working on a study about humanity at the time. 
Mm. And uh, it was really a great grace for me because I started it resentfully. I was doing it for the women's group in Dow. And I was like, the last thing I want to do is write about all these people who want to have babies, don't want to have the babies that they're like God's offering them and how to convince them not to use contraception. Like my heart was not really sympathetic. Sure. Um, but during that process, God was like, you know, you're doesn't matter whether you're fertile or infertile, you're still called to trust me with your fertility. And you mm-hmm. are not trusting me with your fertility. This is mm-hmm. you are you are sinning in the exact same way as someone who is using contraception in mm-hmm. your heart, like mm-hmm. not in the sense of you know what the act we were doing, but the lack of trust in him was was the same. And so right around that time, we're like, okay, let's look into adoption. We started sending off some emails, just just gradually looking into it. And on epiphany out of the blue, one of the attorneys we had talked to called us up and said, so where, where are you guys at in the process? And I'm like, well, we haven't done anything. We're trying to finish our house renovation. We have no money. She's Mm -hmm. like, well, I have a mom who's looking for a few things in a family and I don't have any clients who, who meet that bill, but I think she would really like you. Can you get a profile together really quickly and submit it to me by like Tuesday of seeing her? And this was Friday. So I spent all weekend working on a profile, FedExed it off from Shutterfly. And on Tuesday wow. night, we got the call that we had been chosen to wow. be parents to a little boy who's going to be born six months later. Um, so it was very dramatic. Mm-hmm. Adopted our son, like trying to finish up our house, get a home study. Everything was out of order. Yeah. We did everything backwards. No one should do what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so about a year and a half in after our son was born, he came home a year and a half later, we decided we wanted to adopt again, mm-hmm. um, began that process, uh, in July of 2020, got a call out of the blue that a baby had been born in Dallas. And would we want to be his parents? Wow. We said yes. And we're on the road to Dallas two hours later. Um, he was born at 33 weeks. No one's quite sure about the exact dating. So we were in the NICU for almost a month there Wow. home. Um, and six days after we got home, we got a call from, the attorney we'd worked with on our first adoption saying that our son's birth parents were pregnant again and wanted us to adopt. Oh, okay. So we said yes. Mm -hmm. And, um, seven months later, Ellie was born. And so our two youngest are just eight months apart. Um, Okay. And so your oldest and youngest are siblings. Yes. So our oldest and youngest are full biological siblings. Uh Um, and then, so our oldest is almost five right now. Our middle child is almost three and Ellie just turned two. So we had two baby, we adopted three babies in two and a half years, which was crazy. And we didn't have the money to do this. Like we didn't, I don't know how it all happened. Whatever someone tells me they don't have the money to adopt. I'm like, if God wants you to adopt, like the money somehow comes. Like I can't even, I don't, I can't explain any of it, but God was like, we opened the window and he just started sending babies through. So really quickly. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Um, I know like on your Instagram and on your website and things like that, you've shared kind of about the discernment process, but mm-hmm. can you just walk us through that just a little bit? Like, where were you in terms of like, does this work? Like, do we want children that are not biologically ours? Like, how did that kind of process work for you and your husband? It was, it was a really easy process for us. And I know it isn't for a lot of people, mm-hmm. but I have a number of friends who, I have friends who have adopted, are adopted and have placed babies for adoption. So like my second, my second son, Beckett, his um, godmother is one of my best friends and she's a birth mother. Her birth daughter is actually downstairs babysitting my kids right now. (laughs) So she's out here. She came out for school at Franciscan and I've become friends with her and her adoptive parents. So 
adoption for me was a very, um, God surrounded me with it and let me see all different parts of the triad. Um, that's the language people use to talk about adoptive parents and birth parents and that the child is the triad. Um, and so for me, it was easy. And my husband, we were getting married. We knew there might not be a lot of babies. And it was like, well, we said we'd be open to life. So why would we not? Like God calls us to be generous. God calls us to be hospitable. God calls us to care for widows and orphans. And for him, it was just a very natural extension of mm. the faith. Now it was hard to let go initially because mm-hmm. there's a difference between being like wanting to get pregnant and wanting mm-hmm. to be a parent are not actually the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get pregnant for a while. Like mm-hmm. I, I wanted to, to know what that was like. I wanted to give birth. I wanted to see a baby who looked like us. Like those were desires I had. Um, but ultimately we both were like, well, what do we want more? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. do we want to be pregnant and keep pursuing this as hard as we can? Or do we just want to be parents? Like, do we want to love a child? Do we want to welcome a child? Do we want to be generous with our hearts and our lives? Mm-hmm. And that was the greater desire. Um, sure. and you want to have both of those. Like if you're, <laughs> you want to want to get pregnant, you have, if you want to get pregnant, you better want to be a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately sometimes it doesn't work out to get pregnant and you have to want to be a parent more. And so for that, for us, it was a fairly easy choice just to say, you know, if God wants us to get pregnant, we will. Like, it's not like we gave up hope of getting pregnant when we started pursuing adoption. It was like, it could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just held that desire more loosely. And we're like, all right, Lord, our desire is, is your will. Mm-hmm. And we really feel called to be parents and welcome children mm-hmm. into our house. And we want children in our lives and our home. So sure. you do what you do. And yeah. he did. So there you go. I love as it. he does. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I mean, who would have thought, I'm sure even when you started this process, you had no idea that in two and a half years, you'd have three kids, you know, like that. We didn't think we'd have one. Like, I didn't know how we were ever going to afford one adoption, Mm -hmm. let alone three in two and a half years, like not in a, that, yeah, it was, we had, when you let go and let God, it's amazing. Right. It was, we would have loved three kids. You know, we are so Mm -hmm. happy. We, I would like, we're getting old. I would love, love more. Um, I'm like, give me all the babies. I just want the babies. Mm -hmm. But, um, but yeah, three, it was a wild miracle. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's amazing. Um, what would you say was kind of the easiest part of this journey for you overall? And then maybe what's the most challenging or more difficult part of, of being an adoptive mother, right? And father and couple. I mean, the easiest part is loving the child. Yeah. Like that's so people are always like, oh, could I love a child who's not born of me? Could I mm-hmm. like, I my friends were all lucky. I didn't walk out of the hospital with their babies when they were born. You know, <laughs> like, like I love them all. It's like I love them all. It's a baby. It's it's so so easy to love the child and delight in the child and like it's your child and you are the the parent. And so that love is not is not difficult. Um, in terms of hard, the paperwork is hard. Like it's yeah. <laughs> like it's a full time job. And I think there's, you had to, you have to be highly motivated to want a child Mm -hmm. to go through the adoption route because it is, you have to be vulnerable for your home study. You have to be willing to have someone asking intrusive questions. You have to submit to the fact that you are not owed a child that, you know, you don't have a right to any child Mm -hmm. who is not of your body. You don't have a right to any child, everybody um, before birth. So that's hard. But then the hardest is just knowing that your joy is made possible by someone else's grief because it is a grief Mm -hmm. for the birth mothers. It's a grief for the birth families, for the birth fathers. Um, And it's a really complicated 
sure. experience where mm-hmm. your the deepest desires of your heart are being fulfilled by someone else's sorrow and tragedy. Mm-hmm. And it's like joy and grief are just always nestled up right next to each other in adoption. And it definitely calls for a certain level of maturity to navigate that. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. It's true. Cause you, I think you, you often see one side or the other, but not really looking at both, right. Yeah. The, the mother who's giving her child up and then the mother who's receiving this, this life. Um, interesting. That's, that's beautiful though, to think of it in that way. Um, would you say that there's, are there any elements of the adoption process besides the paperwork, which is really long and complicated that's, you know, like that you wish more people knew or understood about adoption? Because I think it's kind of something that unless you know someone who's adopted, it's kind of a foreign concept. I think a lot of couples are suffering with infertility and trying to figure out struggling with that. And they're like, ah, what adoption? I don't know. Like, what, what do you wish more people knew or understood about it? I mean, I wish more people knew what the birth mothers experienced. I wish there were more resources for birth mothers, particularly within the Catholic church. I wish the sisters of life would put on a retreat for birth mothers. Um, You know, it's, it is a great grief. It is the hardest thing Mm -hmm. these women do. And it doesn't matter if they are, you know, a sweet preacher's kid from, you know, Illinois Mm -hmm. or someone who's struggling with addiction and life on the street in California. Like it's, it is a great grief for all of them and it breaks them in really deep ways. And it's so sacrificial. Like they're making the choice, but they recognize they cannot be the best parent for their child, their child. They want their child to have something Mm -hmm. that they can't um, give them. But that grief is tremendous. And like Mm -hmm. I said, one of my best friends is a, a birth mother and she's one of the healthiest women you'll meet, but it is, you know, it's, and she has a wonderful relationship with her birth daughter and her birth daughter's family but it's still a grief. And I think people often forget about the birth mothers and the sacrifices and just how hard it is and how messy it is for them. Long after the adoptive parents go off with, with the baby and are enjoying the cute baby, like there is a heart that sure. you know, is still broken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes, that makes perfect sense. Um, what, um, I'm curious, like what advice you have maybe first for couples who are struggling with infertility. And I think, you know, in our culture, especially we've uh, many people feel they're owed a child, right. And like, they will do anything to have a child. They will go through all the processes, all the things like, what do you say to couples like that, that are like, Oh, I just want a baby so badly. Like my baby. I think you have to think about why you want the baby. Mm. Like, do you want, is it an item on your checklist? Is it how are you seeing the baby as a commodity? Are you seeing, like, is this something you think you're supposed to do? Like you're supposed to go to college and get married and have a baby. Um, I think that that like really stepping back and saying, right, what, what do I want? Um, and I think before you can move on to adoption, you have to surrender control. Mm -hmm. You have to realize that you are not owed a baby. Like you should want to be a mom before you go into adoption, but like, it's not all about you. Like there's a child and there's another mother and you like the needs of the child come first. Um, and it's not your needs because if you, and you have to make sure you're not resentful because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people can go into adoption being like, Oh, this is plan B. This is the second Mm -hmm. best option. And you have to not see it as the second best option because that's a quick way to 
screw up your kid. So, (laughs) I mean, it really, there has to be an openness and a joy and a desire to just love a child, Mm -hmm. however that child comes. Mm -hmm. Um, But all of that has to be worked through during the infertility stage. Like I'm Mm -hmm. all for moving quickly into the adoption process and throwing windows open, but it has to be when you're at a point to, Mm -hmm. to receive the gift of that child with joy and not all people are ready immediately to receive the gift of the child. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, you can put it off for forever. You can be like, well, let's just, I want to do one more cycle. I want to give it one more year. And before mm-hmm. you know it, you know, 10 years have gone by. And so I think it's just a continual attune, being attuned to your heart and the Lord's will. Mm-hmm. And always asking yourself, like, what do I really want here? What, sure. what's the goal? What is the goal? And when the goal is to love, that's going to lead you to the right place. Right. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, that's beautiful. Um, keeping in mind that love, right. And like, that that's really what we're all about. It's not just having that child or like completing the family or whatever, right. having a cute like, nursery, yeah. like it's, you know, <laughs> doing the thing. like it's mm-hmm. really the call to give yourself in love. And if you feel called to give yourself in love, God will show you how you're called to give yourself, mm-hmm. whether it's with biological children or adopted children or spiritual children, however that works mm-hmm. out. Like when sure. you're seeking love, God really shows you the way. Mm-hmm. What about too, for those who maybe have children of their own, but are also considering adoption? Do you have any like advice or thoughts for those people as well? I'm sure you have run into many of those through yeah. your, through your yeah, work. friends who, yeah. you know, have bi- both biological and adopted kids. I think it's, a, I think it's a great thing. Like it's not just infertile people who are called right. to exactly. called to adopt. Like there's lots of people, whether it's through secondary infertility or mm-hmm. God just, just put this desire in your heart to welcome children through multiple, you know, avenues. Um, I do think it's important most of the time, and there's never hard, hard, fast rules, but you shouldn't adopt out of birth order. So you want to make sure that you are um, adopting young, (laughs) not like don't adopt teenagers, adopt teenagers if your kids are older, but if you have a lot of little kids, it can be really tough to bring teenagers into that environment. Um, The older the kids are, the more Uh, There's always wounds with adoption, like there's attachment issues from the start that you have to deal with, but the older they are, oftentimes the more, um, the more attachment issues, the more brokenness, the more special attention they need. Like these are not kids who are irretrievably broken, but they need a lot of special attention. And if you have babies and teenagers who need the attention of babies or older children who need the attention of babies, Mm -hmm. that can put a lot of strain on a family. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think going into whether it's foster care or adoption, being really attuned to um, listening to experts about what they say about what are the needs and what are the difficulties and being honest with yourself about whether or not you can handle Mm -hmm. that. So that makes perfect sense. Um, I'm curious too, if you have any, you know, insights or thoughts for people who maybe have a family member who's looking at adopting, like how do you support somebody through that process? Right? Like, and I think as they're working through it all, but then also too, when they bring that child home, like what should your family and friends be, be doing to be, to help? I mean, I, with, so adoption's a little different. And I say the one, so I don't feel like I missed out on pregnancy. I don't feel like I missed out on labor. I had my pregnancies and labors and they were spiritual and they were grueling. And most of my friends were like, yeah, birth was a lot easier than what you just did. <laughs> so like, I don't feel like I missed out on that. But what I do feel like I missed out on was the joyful anticipation of a baby. Because you can't have baby showers when you're adopting. Right. It all might go south any second. Right. And right. It feels really wrong to be like having this 
joyful I'm having a baby when somebody else is in the process of wrestling to give up their baby and they haven't placed right. yet. So baby showers are generally taboo beforehand, but a baby shower after can be a great, a great mm-hmm. thing. Um, fundraisers during the process of adoption are huge. Like we would not have been able to adopt without the support of friends and strangers online who like mm-hmm. gave to our adoption fundraisers that we did. Yeah. Um, so just encouraging people and supporting people and not like, there definitely were some people who were like, why, if mm-hmm. you can't afford the baby yourself, you shouldn't be fundraising. And I'm like, well, can you have a baby? Do you have $50,000 cash sitting on hand right yeah, now for every child you've had? Like mm-hmm. the cost of adoption is so extreme that it really is a community effort. And so people who aren't called to adopt are still like, can still be a part of helping with the process through giving 10 bucks or 20 bucks. Like it doesn't have to be a huge gift. It can be something small. So encouraging, understanding the issues, understanding that parenting is going to look a little different for adoptive children. The baby hasn't spent nine months in the mother's womb bonding with the mother. And so attachment really has to be learned. Mm -hmm. Uh, So adoptive parents, there's a lot more emphasis on you, like you baby wearing and skin to skin and Mm -hmm. co-sleeping, whatever it is. Um, understanding that that is something that needs to happen. I think one of the hard things for me is everyone always wanted the babies and especially the more kids I had, they were like, we'll take the cute baby. You, you know, be with the other children. And that was tough because I was like, no, I need to bond with this child. You don't understand like this, Mm -hmm. this baby and I need to attach. So, um, just being a little respectful Mm -hmm. of that, that there is a greater need for attachment early on and make the meals and help out because, you yeah, know, yeah. even <laughs> it's still a baby, it's still a baby yeah. and it's still tough and your hormones are still going crazy because there's oxytocin from all this bonding and attachment and you're not sleeping. And so, you know, normal psychosis, just like with any baby. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, what about kind of on the reverse? Are there anything that you wish people didn't say or didn't do while you were going through the process? Cause I think, you know, people are kind of clueless and sometimes they say things that you're like, Oh, that please don't, you know, like, let's not say that again or anything like that. I don't know. I mean, so I always struggle with questions like this because people mean, well, of course, I probably, I, I did say stupid things before. Like you can't know what you don't know. And if I were held accountable for every stupid thing in my life that I've said, like, thank God for God's mercy. So we're all called to bear wrongs patiently. So I am not the language police, but I've definitely had some stupid things said, you know, people always be like, didn't you want children of your own? And I'm like, but they are my own, (laughs) like they are my children. Mm -hmm. Um, We had someone at a restaurant ask us, they go, are these, are these real children? And I was like, well, no, they're computer generated images of children. Like, yes, they're, they're my real children. Um, we've had people tell us that they understand what we went through because they had a really hard time adopting their two cats. And yeah, I really don't like the language of adoption with animals. Um, Mm. it's such a sacred relationship. Like it's a sacred sign between God and his people. And it describes our relationship with God and like, uh, the child, it's kind of a trigger. I don't like the word trigger, but it is a trigger word for a lot of adoptees and adoptive parents. They're like, stop <laughs> talking about adopting pets. Like you buy a pet, you own a pet, you get a pet. Mm. You do not actually adopt a pet. You don't, your pet doesn't inherit your fortune. Your pet doesn't inherit your name. You know, like you don't take yeah, in yeah. the pet as your own. Um, and other pet owners get really mad when you say that, but it is something that adoptees, adoptees in particular get very sensitive about it because they feel like you're comparing them to a, and they're a person. So Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, now that, now that I've made all the pet owners mad who are like, but I've adopted my pet. It's nevertheless, don't compare the adoption of your pet to the adoption of my children. Even if you want to use the language of pet of adoption with pets. Yeah. So that, that language is so interesting how we do that, but I think it's true. We, um, we had a conversation earlier with, um, this group that makes, um, boxes for miscarriages, like women who are going through miscarriages, yeah. like the language and how, like, you just got to be careful. Like the nuance of things, like our culture kind of pushes us to say things in the wrong way. Like this adoption thing is a perfect example of kind of how that is. Like, you're not really adopting a cat. Like, come on. Yeah. It's not. And I would also say, make, don't make assumptions about the birth mothers. Like mm. every adoption story is different. Every sure. birth mother is different. Um, we, we have seen hundreds of adoption cases over the course of, you know, when we were in the process of adopting um, and everything is different. So people will often ask, they'll be like, well, why would they give them up? Or why would they do this? And sure. it's just best not to ask those questions. If the parents right. know you really well, you will know the story. Sure. If they haven't shared the story with you, it's usually just not best to ask because they can only tell you so much. It's somebody else's story. And I'll tell you all my part of the story. And I'll tell you everything from like when I got the baby in my arms, mm-hmm. but so much before that is, is not I'm more open than some people are. I don't mind as much, but some people really mind. And so I think it's good just to respect that privacy. That makes, yeah, I love it. Um, Okay. So before we go, I was scrolling through your Instagram account. (laughs) That's so funny. Um, But I was really moved by a post that you had earlier on where you were talking about openness to life and what that looks like. Right. And I think in the usual kind of Catholic parlance, we talk about openness to life of like welcoming your children. Right. But you were talking about it. Like sometimes that means driving a large van around or having the three children that don't look like you, like those kinds of things, welcoming people into your dinner table. So tell us a little bit more about that and kind of your idea of what, what that really means to be open to life. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, it's literally being open to life, everyone's lives. Like it's Mm -hmm. being open to welcoming people into your life. It's being welcoming open to sharing your life with others. It's, it's an openness to communion. And so, yes, we're called to be open to children, but we're called to be open to everyone in a certain sense. Like we're called to love as Christ loves and give ourselves. And so it's going to look differently in different seasons. It's also not like, Oh, we had our 2.5 kids and we were open to life. So now we're done. We can mm-hmm. like, you're still called to be open to life. You're still called to welcome people. You're still called to love people. You're still called to serve and support. And there is n- in every single one of us, no matter where we are until we're pretty much, even if you're in hospice dying, like your prayers for people, you're offering up your suffering is, is an openness to life. It's, mm-hmm. it's letting the concerns of others penetrate your heart and call you out of yourself. Like it really is when you're open to life, you are called out of yourself. And that I think one of the great best things about heaven is we won't be thinking about ourselves at all. Like all, like all of the self-obsession and what do they think about me? What did I do in this problem? I have Mm. You're just going to be thinking about Jesus and in thinking about Jesus, you'll be thinking about others and you'll be utterly self-forgetful. And I think when we practice openness to life in many different forms in this life, like it's a little foretaste of heaven. Children call us to be self-forgetful, being a great hostess and loving people who come to you to feed them calls you to be self-forgetful, um, giving up your money to help instead of going on a vacation, giving it to, you know, friends who need it. Like that's a call to be self-forgetful. That's a, it's all a way of being open to life. Mm -hmm. 
So. I, I, I love this concept. I mean, this concept that we have in the church, but I love the way that you kind of nuance it because I think it's true, you know, that everybody, right? No matter where, dying on your deathbed, married, single, celibate, whatever, right? Your call in life is, you are, that openness to life is part of that, right? And how how we do that and how we we pour our love out for others is really, really the key there. It's beautiful. Um, so anything else you want to share before we, before we sign off? This was a great conversation today. No, I think adoption is something that can be scary. And I do hear from a lot of grandmas or wannabe grandmas who are like, my daughter's really struggling and I want her to consider adoption. Like, what do I say to her? Mm. And you really can't Hmm. force the issue on people like when you are grieving infertility or you know struggling people say well just think about adoption you're like but it's not that simple um but you can always share my account with people <laughs> you know like yeah, I think sometimes just seeing really beautiful joyful adoptive families mm-hmm. um can encourage it familiarizes people with adoption it can sure. encourage people it makes them go oh well they could do it like Mm-hmm. maybe I could do this too. Maybe, maybe I should, my husband should see some of this. And, sure. um, so I would encourage people to look into Springs of Love, which is a wonderful, um, Catholic group that ministers to people who are considering adoption. There's Springs in the desert. They have two groups. So Springs in the deserts for people struggling with infertility mm-hmm. Springs of Love is for, um, families that are starting to consider couples that are considering adoption. They're a wonderful discern- discernment group. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you can follow me on Instagram and Substack and see my cute kids. And I talk right. about this a lot. Like it's not the only thing I talk about, but it's just part of my life and motherhood and sure. what we do. So great. We'll link to all of that in the show notes as well, as well as Springs of Love and Springs in the Desert. So people yeah, can find that. They're really, really good. Great. Wonderful. Well, Emily, I really appreciate it and appreciate your time and sharing your adoption story with everyone. That's amazing. Oh no, I'm so happy to, to share. And it was great to meet you virtually. So it's great. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ferris Love Podcast. If you enjoyed it, there are a few quick things you can do to support us. Share this episode with a friend, subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, or visit us at ferrisloveshrine.org.